The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Eight minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this morning. And uh, the lines of communication remain open. You can give us a call on 0891-104-208. Alternatively, you can email um, us on sakina, S-A-K-I-N-A, at safm.co.za. If you want to tweet or Facebook, the handle is amlive on SAFM. Please use the hashtag AMLive. And then uh, you can also send us your SMSs to the number 34701. And, uh, of course, this morning, what seems to be top of mind for most people um, is racism, given the utterances by the owner of the Sodwana Guesthouse and uh, what he had to say about that. But... We've also seen quite a bit of violence flaring up. Last week, our focus was on Tswane and what was going on there. And uh, during one of our interviews on the uh, AM Live, we spoke to uh, Nomfundo uh, from the uh, Center for the Study of uh, Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, and she expressed some very interesting views. And we thought, you know what? Maybe we need to pause. Call Nomfundo in and uh, delve a little deeper into some of the thoughts she was expressing. Because amongst other things, uh, the concern that was expressed was that something is wrong with the way in which South African society addresses issues. Now, South Africans need to change their currency of engagement. I think we all agreed on that because we have reached an impasse. We don't know what we are doing. We react to everything. There is no proactive uh, engagement on many of these issues, and there should be at this point. And the responses are basically what will follow the emotional reaction to the incident that has occurred. So something is wrong in what is going on there. But we also need to take into account uh, the violence and what it says. It talks about the manifestation of people's frustrations in this country. We cannot deny that. We cannot deny the fact that people in South Africa are angry. Mm. If not, how else then do you explain the sort of things that they do? Something needs to motivate and drive these actions. And by no means are we saying that we should condone those actions. That's not what we are saying. Mm. But it's equally not going to help us to try and um, negate what may be the underlying causes of why people behave in the manner in which they do. So what are we going to do? Are we going to try to address the root causes of what we are seeing, these manifestations that are taking place. We need, to, we need to get to that point where we now start and say, you know, this is what we need to look at. These are the issues that need to be addressed. And this is how we as a nation are going to address them. And the concern, of course, is very widespread. The Center for um, as the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, uh, they have as an institution called for what they term social re-engineering, uh, which they say needs to start with gaining the trust of communities and by building accountable and responsive systems. So that is what we are going to engage uh, Nomfundo Mohapi on this morning and she is of course the executive director at uh, the CSVR. Thank you so much for coming through this morning. Morning Shakina, thank you so much for having me and for this important topic. It's really exciting for us 
to see that media is beginning to say, can we really pause and begin to look at these underlying issues? Because that's exactly what we've been saying, that our problem as a society, we have what um, Fanon calls a panic-driven um, response, moral panic-driven response to situations, whether it's the violent protest or the racism itself, something emerges, our emotions are heightened, um, we try to deal with it, but our responses are usually not appropriate in and of themselves. Then we forget and then we move on and another thing comes up. And what we've been saying is that we need to really look at the, the underlying causes the issues that are informing these problems that we have. We need to focus at what we call a psychosocial re-engineering of our society because in rebuilding this new society of ours, this is the one area that has been neglected and that we haven't dealt with. And now we are beginning to see the fruits of that. So if if we just, I'm going to talk about it broadly and we can go into more details to um, discuss what the issues are supposed to be. So the first things that um, we need to deal with, Sakina, is is what I call the key foundations of our society, um, the foundations of the architecture of, of um, South African society. And we could unpack more. The first one is the unresolved trauma of our past um, and the issues of poverty, unemployment, inequality, and rigid patriarchy. Those are the foundations that if we don't deal with them, unfortunately, at a psychological level, we'll be in trouble as a society. And then the other level is what we call the building blocks of our society, which is um, uh, dealing with our institu- institutions, um, leadership, family, and neighborhoods. So just to unpack on these a little bit more, when we look at the foundational issues, Shekina, I mean, as you've said it yourself, the, 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 the history of our country, um, especially during apartheid and other oppressions, is linked with experiences that were dehumanizing, um, stripped people of their sense of humanity. And it's on both sides. When you grow in a society that tells you that you are superior because of the way you look, you are stripped of your own humanity. When you live in a society that tells you that you are inferior because of the way you look, you are stripped of your humanity. So a lot of humiliation, shame, um, violence that is linked with that trauma that we really haven't dealt with. And now it is being carried to the next generation. So though, and, and those of us who are supposed to steer the country forward have the lived experiences of our past, but they haven't dealt with it. And then just briefly... Just Why haven't we dealt with it, though? Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, Shakina, that um, about a year ago I was talking to uh, one of the pe- people who were key in um, ushering our country forward um, and who were at the forefront of the struggle. And my question to them was to say, you have done a lot of work in relation to the political transformation of our country. We've got great laws. We've got rights that are included. But when you were thinking of re-engineering our society, knowing that apartheid was not just an economic and a political system, but it was a psychological system that was aimed to break people psychologically, did you look at the psychosocial re-engineering of our society? And I don't think 
think we had a project beside the TRC which was not sufficient that really looked at that re-engineering um, of our society at a psychosocial level and dealing with that. So you then still have people who have these past humiliations and frustrations living and sitting with them as their experiences. Then on top of that, Shakina, you then um, have issues of poverty which in and of themselves again reignite issues of present humiliation. Um, and when poverty and the present humiliation is, is, is there and you still have the unresolved trauma of the past that reminds you of the humiliation, then poverty has another different level of significance at a psychological level. And you couple that with unemployment, which for us, you know, the unemployment really has to do with the, with the concept of stuckness that we, we have a group of young people who are really feeling stuck to say, even if I want to get out of my poverty because there's no employment, I cannot be able to then get the jobs that I want. Um, and, and, and that sense of stuckness linked with past humiliation and present humiliations creates a sense of emotional and psychological agency in our society. Paralleled with that is then the issues of inequality, that um, I feel stuck currently um, and at the same time, I can see these people who are succeeding in my life. It's, it's, it's so close, but yet so far. And what even couples with that is that the, the so-called successful people in our society, they themselves, because they haven't dealt with their own trauma and past humiliations, they are using their material things to determine their own value and worth. So they flesh their wealth, they mm. show it, and that feeds into the ones who do not have because they feel so stuck. Um, and then the final thing is, is this rigid patriarchy that we have in our society. The definition of manhood, which is based on you must be powerful, you must have money, and that is what defines who you are as a man. So if you take this, for example, young person who has to deal with the past humiliations, whether they still have that lived experience of, of apartheid or it was translated by their parents, they are living in poverty, so there's present humiliations. They are unemployed, they feel stuck, and they don't have hope. But then they see their counterparts who are succeeding and are flashing their money. And then they are told that for you to be a man, you need to have the very same things that you don't have. Then you are in trouble because you have um, a society whose psychological architecture, it's a people who are frustrated, who are agitated, who are angry, and who are stuck. What that means then, Shakina, is that when you begin to lead a society like that, you lead it differently. So if, for example, with the situation that we had in Swane, you're going to make a decision that will threaten people's livelihood, people are likely to react with very heightened emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. But also what it means is that you have a group of angry, agitated people who can easily be mobilized. And what we've been saying around the protest is that um, when our leaders talk, they tend to focus on the third force and the opportunist, but not on the underlying issues. And on that, because, you know, the other thing that struck me was about how leaders actually interpret people. Yeah. The person in front of you. How do you see this person? How do you interpret this person? Because that will determine how you relate to them. Because if you can't, for starters, then gain this person's trust, have them open up so you can establish that space for dialogue, 
how do you engage with this person? And how are you going to do that if, uh, as you pointed out earlier, your response is one of moral panic? Yeah. How do you then respond to these Mm. things? Shakina, I think the issue of leadership is so crucial because it is one of the building blocks in this concept in this concept that we're talking about. And leadership is at two levels, Shakina. The first one is just we really need leaders who can be able to read the psychosocial context um, of our society. So if you're going to do anything that makes people feel that their dignity is um, being threatened, you will revoke very strong, powerful emotional reactions, which for you sometimes may not make sense to say, but I've just said a small thing. Why are people reacting like this? Mm. Um, you, you will lead the country differently. You will know that issues of trust, of authority are key to the woundedness of our society. So if people see anything, whether it's, it's corruption or anything that is linked to that lack of trust, immediately their reaction takes will be heightened. So there is that ability of leadership to not just read the politics of our society, but to read the psyche and respond. But there's another one, Shakina, that um, I think we really need to talk about as a society. That is what I've been calling the concept of wounded leaders. This is an idea that at times it's really difficult to talk about because you know that most of the leaders that we have really have the best interest of our society. They want to build the society. And some of them actually died and sacrificed their lives and sacrificed their families for this society. But however, if the leaders haven't dealt with their own trauma, Shakina, trauma determines the way you hear, the way you listen, and the way that you respond. Mm. So if for you to have survived during the struggle, you needed to, for example, focus on comradeship. You needed to pick up the um, the third force and people who are threatening you. If you haven't dealt with it past, even as you lead a democratic society, and I'm talking about all facets of leaders, mm. not just government. I'm talking about across institutions the across the board. What happens is that Um, And I'll use the example of the violent protest. What will really for us deal with the violent protest is if we've got leaders who can go beyond the opportunist and listen to the uh, frustration of the masses. But what happens is you have leadership who they've got these heightened reactions to betrayal. So then their automatic response and their automatic trigger is to respond to betrayal. And that becomes their... They are main discourse. So you don't really hear the frustration of the masses. The other thing is that if you are someone who has sacrificed yourself for the well-being of the country, if people blame you that you are playing a role in creating some of the problems, how do you even begin to accept that if you haven't dealt with it? Because your own identification is with being an activist and someone who has built the country. Um, and we see, and, and so I've been saying that at a, at a leadership level, we have done a lot of work in giving people skills of leadership, in giving them uh, skills of dealing with strategies and all of that. But we haven't done a lot of work on dealing with the emotional intelligence of our leaders and how they learn to hear differently and to hear the things that are uncomfortable and that are difficult, even if they are provoking their own trauma. So there's a lot of work 
that we need to do at a leadership level and a conversation that we need to have that we are carrying the psychological scars of our past even as leaders. It's those uncomfortable uh, truths that uh, generally we try to shy away from. Uh, But coming back to the core issues here and uh, someone sent a tweet I just lost it now oh here it is Tulu Begisi's way he says so all your guest is saying is that all these ills are economically driven economic emancipation of black people but that's not really what you are saying you're saying it's not just purely about economic issues it goes much deeper than that the psychology of that economic deprivation needs to be understood as well and that is so crucial. We cannot just only focus what makes the economic issues to have such a strong response is because they trigger the underlying psychological experiences of humiliation, of anger, and of frustration. So we have to do both. We have to look at the economic transformation, but we also have to look at the psychological transformation of our society. It cannot just be an either-or. Because we have been in instant in Sakina where, um, for example, we've worked with ex-combatants in the past, mm. where we, they will tell us that when they came back to the country, they were given jobs. But because we didn't, they didn't deal with the trauma of the struggle, they lost their jobs. Because when a white person came and didn't treat them with respect, immediately they got angry, they became violent because that triggered the pain of the past. So you cannot just give, look at economic emancipation, you also have to look at psychological transformation of our society and dealing with that psyche, both at leadership level, at community level, and at family level. Mm. So close, but yet so far when yeah. you start seeing others succeed. All right, we're going to take some calls. 0891-104-208 in conversation this morning with Nomfundo Mohapi, who's the executive director at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. And this morning we are asking, how do you see social re-engineering in South Africa? And what do you think we need to address the problems, this stuckness that we find ourselves in? How do we get unstuck. Let's hear from Ngila in Johannesburg. Good morning. Hello, Sakina, and thank you for, for taking my call. Good morning to you and your listeners. You're welcome. I, I, I'm presently in Bronx Bridge. I've, I've just arrived, and I am going to uh, engage a hundred young people uh, in a self-mastery and interpersonal skills. And uh, one of my facilitators is uh, in uh, uh, near Tenga, in a place called Mapumolo. And on Monday, I will be engaging an organization called Sitibenangom Twana. Hmm. And uh, two days thereafter, I will be in uh, uh, what's called, uh, in the Transkai with with the same organization. So we've got uh, uh, facilitators all over the country that have been trained in engaging individuals within organizational formations because the individual is the building block of uh, the organization and the organization, as the lady said, is a building block of society. And that approach is the most effective one. Uh, we, we started in April and, and, and we're already uh, what you call uh, on course towards uh, resolving the problems in a very effective way and we call this the ultimate solution. But the, the program that we are using is called Soul Talk. Soul Talks, 
soul as in spirit, talk as in speak. And uh, it, it, it uses a very simple approach, uh, planting a, a sense of responsibility or the spirit of responsibility in the individual. And when the individual in an organization has got that, uh, the organization changes automatically. And when the organization changes like that, then society will change. And that was uh, Ngila Mwendane talking about one of the programs that they are running. Uh, Chris and Durban, what's your contribution? Uh, morning, second. I think the, the first thing that I wanted to suggest, I think some of my points were said by Ngila, is that <coughs> social engineering becomes such an abstract and an academic uh, concept that people on the ground uh, will never understand. And I really believe that our first problem and primary problem is what she called the foundations. Uh, things like, for example, we see people's faith being used for people in order to be able to make money. And and that really says people have really thrown away their souls and their faiths such that they can do anything. And I think that's where we must start. But secondly, we can't begin to, 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 to overemphasize the role of leadership without emphasizing the role of an individual and family. And that is where I believe we must get it right in the first instance. Thanks, again. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, Eddie's calling us from Cape Town. Good morning, Eddie. Uh, good morning, ma'am. Uh, um, I, li- I like what your guest is saying, actually. You know, uh, Sakina, um, our leadership caliber is, is very bad. You know, in Vuani, when people were, were, were doing and banning things, instead of the people saying, let's go sit with the people in Vuani and understand what the problem is, then you hear there is an element of criminality, there is an element of this. Um, it happens in Twane, the same thing happens. Um, Jimmy Matthews resigns from the SABC. You have the spokesperson of the, the, the ANC saying he's a coward. Um, even the minister coming out and saying he's a coward without really wanting to understand what his reasons are, as if they know what the SABC uh, uh, issues are that would have... Uh, and they, they are, the issues of the SABC are, okay, Jimmy has a problem. So um, this is my thing, Sakina, I've always said. Um, w- when you stay in a shack and when it rains and the water comes into your house and it comes knee-deep, and um, your kids are hungry, your, your shack burns and you lose your IDs and everything. You don't need a third person to come to you and tell you you are poor or a third person to come and tell you and agitate you. So our leaders, especially, um, I'm talking about the, my ANC because they are the leader of society here. I'm not picking up on them. But their response to things doesn't, it, it, it's a lack of understanding one or not wanting to understand deliberately. Secondly, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a self-interest kind of thing where they're saying we cannot um, uh, um, uh, um, um, bear our heads in sand and, and say there is nothing wrong, everything is okay, so that we project a picture that we are, we are leading society correctly. Okay. Eddie, we're going to park it there. When we come back, we'll get Nomfundo to respond to those and also some other interesting questions that people are posing. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them.
On the forum at 8 this morning, we host uh, Nomfunda Mukhapi, who's the executive director from the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. And um, uh, Nomfundo and uh, the uh, study for a uh, Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation have expressed concern that something is wrong with the way in which our society addresses issues. And we've come up with some very nice terms this morning. I see some of you like the one about stuckness, the stuckness syndrome that we find ourselves in. So mm. How do we get unstuck? How do we move forward beyond this point? But let's just respond first to the calls we took before mm-hmm. the break. We'll take more calls. Uh, but before we go back to the lines, I also just want to pose a few questions that have come up through the other platforms. Yeah, just just um, responding to Chris um, around the issue of family, I really want to emphasize that part of the psychosocial reengineering Shakina includes strengthening the institution of family. Um, our research and research has actually shown that when the family institution, with all its facets and different ways it is, when it is strong, even when people experience difficulties outside, they can find a refuge at home. Mm. But our families have become a source of violence, of dehumanizing. So when we begin to re-engineer our society, it also means that us as parents, we have to deal with our own trauma. We have because to be the honest way, about that. Trauma, we have to though. be honest. We uh, the, and and I I am I'm glad you say that because the first journey of psychological transformation is to become awake to yourself. South Africans are asleep to themselves. Our inner children, as parents, are highly traumatized. They lived during the trauma. They are highly humiliated, um, feel humiliated, and the the thing that our parents told us was, you stand up and you move on with it. So we treat our children the same way. We're not able to be emotionally available and present for our children and cushion them against the experiences of what happens outside. So the re-engineering of the family. And I usually say to people, if and we'll talk about leadership, but leadership in the family starts first. And I tell parents that the greatest favor you can do your children is to deal with your own psychological healing and transformation. Because when your own inner child has not been treated, you will treat your children the same. So I think what he said about family is so crucial and it's a crucial building block. Mm. Let me let me throw in this SMS because yes. I think it speaks to where, okay. where the conversation is right now. It says the violence fomented by the struggle also dehumanized people. We need to be honest about the necklacing, the intimidation and all the other violent acts that went on. And these violent acts that people have experienced what they do, and I want to talk about this concept, Shakina, that we use in psychology, which is called triggers, so you can understand what we're talking about. So when you go through a traumatic experience in your life, let's say is the necklacing or your, your dad is called a boy in front of you, that experience gets stored in your brain as a trauma. And you store all the senses of that emotion. You, 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 stay, you, you store what you see, what you hear. You store the emotions. Um, and you also stay, so you, you store some of the thinking that is associated with it. So what happens is that in the present day, you, or you might be a 40-something-year-old who's working at the workplace, but someone does something that triggers you and it takes you back to that pain. Immediately, you stop being that 40-year-old. You become that child again. And your response becomes senseless. And that is why we've been saying as a society, but it doesn't make sense. You get told that you're going to have a different mayoral candidate and you ban your your buses. What is that? Mm. Because that 
experience triggers the trauma. And the minute the trauma gets triggered, you go back to the traumatic experience. So as he says, those experiences of necklacing and all these emotions that are associated with it, they are very painful and difficult. And most of the time as a society, we don't sit with those emotions and deal with them. We just react from the trigger. And most of the time it's either in a violent way and in the way that destroys us our own society that we are trying to build. So we have to begin to invest in sitting and dealing with those emotions, Shakina, those very uncomfortable, difficult emotions. I, I, I call it, and it's, it's, it's a term that comes from um, psychology, which is, which is about, as a society, we need to learn how to create a relational home for our pain. We need to learn how to contain that pain. And that's where the concept of leadership comes in. Because when you have leaders who, we, 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 for now, the word that we use in peace building is trauma carriers. If you have leaders who are themselves traumatized, they are not able to then hold the pain of the people and become peace carriers. So even the language that, you, that they use become divisive. But when leaders have dealt with their own trauma, they become peace carriers. They speak a reconciliatory language, a language that makes people feel that these humiliations and these pains are actually contained rather than triggered. And that is where the role of leadership who have dealt with their own stuff is so crucial. And it's so important to then... Inv- I think the greatest thing that we can do for society is to invest in ourselves. That is what we need to do. If you can invest in yourself, you'll be a better mother, a better father, a better leader. And we are taking your calls. What are are your views on this? Because we can't keep having the same responses to things that creep up in our society. Because let's face it, by and large, it is the same issue that comes up over and over again. And yet how we respond to it is really telling because we give the same responses over and over again. So we are not moving. How do we get unstuck from this situation? Peter and Grahamstown, good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Sakina, and to your guest, Numfundo. Sakina, because of time constraints, I want to start with the very bottom line. Um, I want to place the ball in your court. Um, I, want to, I want you to look in the mirror and ask yourself why you are so popular with all racial groups in this country. And I, I would like to suggest, well, I'm going to try and meet the, the, the manager when he comes down to Grandstand here and ask him for a longer period for your show because we really need to look for answers and your show is of a high quality and we need a longer time. And when I say I want to place the ball in your court, I, I want you to run programs on educating the people of exactly what we need to look for in a leader. Because it is a fact that under Nelson Mandela, he created rampant reconciliation. And we've got to look at the way he treated the racist acts against him. When they depicted him as a baboon, what did he do? He made the person look like a baboon because he didn't react. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard the old Mm. saying, which I'm sure you'll agree with, that when someone speaks badly of you, You behave so that nobody will believe them. And racism is not new. I'm going to give a CD, which I hope can... Well, I'm going to instruct them to give it to you. It's research done by Marvin von Weichsmith into into racism, and he did it when he was at Oxford University, and he took it right back to the pharaohs. Now, the pharaohs were big racists, although they were not white, but they depicted themselves as fine-featured, and it's a way of oppressing people. So we've got to rise above it, and you do exactly that. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Peter and Grahamstown. Uh, Molly in Johannesburg, good morning. 
Good morning, Sakina, and uh, good morning to Nomfundo as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, thank you, Nomfundo. I, I once listened to you in a TBR session in Benton, and, and I'm glad that you are consistent about raising this issue. And what I'd like to say, Sakina, is that we have not necessarily tried to to come up with an antithesis to the Ferrogurt species. And the Ferrogurt species <laughs> was a cocktail yeah. taking breath <laughs> taking back from the colonial legacy combined with the capitalist system, combined with the subjugation of black people and patriarchy. And the, the example I can think of, a, a, a typical example, is, is the life of a mine worker whose dignity has been dealt with badly and whose dignity in, 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 the, in, the, in the now continues to be affected badly. And, and, and until we come with an antithesis to Verbood, to, to, to Verbood legacy, and which is combined with colonial and apartheid legacy, I think we, we, we are still far. So we need a, a social engineering that will deal with that legacy. Thank you so much, uh, Molly in uh, Johannesburg. Brian, you calling from Ahikeng. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Nomfundo, uh, this is quite a very, very important uh, topic which touches at the fiber of our society. In the Northwest Province, Sakina, the province has identified five what we call concrete. Out of these five concrete, two of them I will talk about. One of them is reconciliation, healing, and renewal. The other one we call it some drugs and some work. Through these two concrete, we go around and mobilize our society, irrespective of our differences, be it the racial, be it religious, or whatever differences, to try and engage in dialogue, to try and uh, say to our communities, uh, we think we have got a bigger country to build, we think we have got a province to build, we think there are common things that can unite us more than the differences that we have. And uh, we identify those strategic things and try to gather uh, from one community to the other to work uh, with the communities in ensuring that uh, we focus on what unites us more than what we what can divide us. Recognizing and confronting those divisions, those wounds of the past that have polarized some of our communities. Mm. We think that uh, uh, it's, it's a way forward that we are providing as a province as part of unpacking uh, the situation in which we have found ourselves. It's part of the agenda of the fifth administration in the Bukonebukurima province led by Ntatema Humapelo. Thank you so much, uh, Brian and Mahikeng. Let me read through some of the messages. Pagamila Slubi says, Our academic institutions need to do research on the psychological impact of apartheid mm-hmm. on South African society. Mm-hmm. Jabula Majola agrees with that, asking, What have South African universities done to study and help dismantle our real existential problem, which is the impact of apartheid on mm-hmm. the mind? Mm-hmm. So agreement there between those two. Uh, some others, uh, Makeba and Pretoria, says, Sakina, why is the focus of your discussion on victims of racism or black people and their leadership? What about the perpetrators, the white people, their leadership, such as AfriForum and Solidarity or the DA? San says, um, I think people think the majority of South Africans are illiterate. People can see and understand clearly what is going on. Fraud, bribery, corruption, poor leadership, lack of prosecution, lack of accountability, capture of uh, most state 
resources and deception. That's what's going on, according to San. And then Paula in Cape Town says, we need land redistribution. We need minimum wage. We need wealth taxes. Those who inherit the wealth also inherit the debt. Mm. That's Paula's contribution. And also in the Western Cape, Anne says, your guest is wonderful. People need to carefully listen to what she is saying and not only hear what they want to hear. David in uh, David and Tunzi in Mabatu says, as part of the social re-engineering, what important part would religion play in the whole spectrum of these things in as far as the whole picture is concerned? And then uh, this one, I agree fully with Nomfundo. In the Northwest, the Premier Mahuma Pelo has started the RHR, a Reconciliation, Healing and Renewal, which is based on the preamble of the South African Constitution, healing the wounds of our past and present. Renewal is mainly on the economy and soundtrack, some to deal with it. And Joe in Peter Maritzburg says a monumental disconnect exists between the masses and the leadership. So some of the comments there. So such rich comments, um, I think, from from the people who are listening, Shakina. And two things things that I just want to pick up um, and to really emphasize that this psychosocial reengineering has to be coupled with dealing with the psyche and also shifting people's lived experiences. This is really, really crucial because it, it, it doesn't matter if people heal, but they still live in poverty. So I agree with people who are saying we need economic transformation, but we also need to deal with the psyche. So this engineering has to deal with both. Otherwise, it is not going to work. And I like what people are saying because they are saying that the responsibility of this psychosocial engineering lies in a number of structures within society. Religious leaders, definitely, because we are one of the most religious uh, society Mm. in our country. And most of the people who are wounded and hurt look at religion to assist them. So how do we begin to to work with religious leaders so they assist to deal with this woundedness? And I've seen um, a number of leaders beginning to integrate some of this healing stuff within um, um, their religious structures rather than just saying, oh, this is outside religion. So I think religion can really play a key role. The academics, I know that um, there is some research... Uh, uh, Professor Pumla Kobotomatigizela has done a lot of work around this stuff. And for me, the issue is how do we take the knowledge that stays in universities and bring it to the people mm. in a simple language that people can understand? Because there has been a lot of work uh, that has been done in relation to that. And, but on that yeah. point, here's an interesting tweet from uh, Paledi. Paledi says, what is the chance of a person investing in their psychosocial well-being when they are faced with daily socioeconomic difficulties? Good question. Psychological transformation means doing both at the same time. On the one hand, you're busy dealing with the challenges that you have. On the other hand, you are investing in your own healing. Shakina is like if someone close to you passes away, you have to do the work of grieving. But you don't stop. You still go to work. You still find ways to survive. But you also still create spaces for you. Um, to be able to do that. And again, I just want to um, to make this issue of psychological transformation a bit more concrete because people are like, okay, if I want to start the journey, mm. what exactly should I do? And I say to people, for me, it really 
involves um, five key things. The first one is just the journey of waking up. When you can begin to become awake to yourself and accept that, you know what, actually I have a problem. So what we're doing here as a society to say, you know what, guys, there is a problem. There is a problem around our psyche. You are 15%, 50% there because the most difficult part of psychological uh, transformation is that awakening and looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I need to do something. The second one is then the actual healing itself, going to these painful, uncomfortable, difficult experiences and creating what I say is a relational home, a containing environment. Because sometimes all that pain needs, Shakina, is to be heard, is to be validated, is to be acknowledged, then it loses its power. And that's why we need leaders who can do that. Sometimes the communities just want you to go and say, we hear you, we hear your pain, let's understand you, and not focus on the opportunists. The third thing is then liberation, to say how do you free yourself from some of um, thinking that we're we're linked with your trauma, right? How do you begin to think differently and not think based on the trauma that you've experienced? And finally, the other one is then the gen of restoration. Mm -hmm. How do you begin to restore what you've lost as a result of your trauma? So as a society, we've lost our humanity. We need a journey of restoring our humanity, restoring dignity. So doing all those things that restore dignity. And the final stage is, I think, what, what Peter was talking about is the showing up where the way you react to the world is no longer determined what people, by what people say or do to you. You are able to create what, what, what Steve Covey calls your, your own weather. You know your worth. You know your value. Even if someone comes and says, well, now you're useless, you just look at them mm. because you know your worth and your value. But when you haven't done that, when people say you are useless, they, they, they pull something inside of you. So those are the five key stages that we need to go through as a society. Because the final, final one, we want to have a society of people who know their worth, who know their value, and they are not moved up and down by the things that actually happen in the external. Uh, one of the sayings that I hold dear is that it is not what you are called, but what you respond to that is important. Yep. Because people will call you yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. But what are you responding to? Yes. That is the important yeah. thing. Malvin and Joba, good morning. Good, good morning. Um, I think it's an absolutely wonderful uh, topic, and I've been listening with great uh, interest. Um, so, so to Numfunda, I, I, I just want to thank her for, for bringing the topic, you know, and um, it's, it's complex um, in the sense that we also have organizations. So when I say organizations that are battling to, to, to make a transition, corporates, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, we speak to, in, you know, it, we speak to um, institutionalized apartheid, yeah. and that is the challenge that we are yes. we're dealing with. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a background. I, I've been listening. I'm that 40-something-year-old, and, mm-hmm. um, and the, the challenge is I've worked for Danelle, and I enjoyed it tremendously. We went through a phase when, it, when, when in, in just post-1994, and I was involved in the transformation there with Maxi Sulu. And the other day, I listened to one of our leaders, and one of our leaders uh, spoke about the preamble to the Constitution. We, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustices of the past, mm-hmm. respect and honor those who have suffered for justice and freedom in our land. And this is the challenge that we sit with still today, um, the preamble is very powerful. And the person that said this was Trevor Manuel at the breakfast uh, the other day. And I, I, I looked at him and I thought to myself, what did they go through in their darkest hour? Mm. What, when, 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 when things, I mean, what was it like? And, and, and it's exactly what you're saying. How do they deal with that trauma? How do they deal with 
those those things as leaders, but they've they've delivered uh, an immense value to our country yeah. in blood, sweat, and tears for freedom. But the challenge that I want to take up is the the the, the transition to to how do we make that transition. Um, from institutionalized apartheid. Yeah. And I'm talking about companies that have still embedded yeah. these things inside of their cultures. They are slow at transforming. And, and that's, that's the journey that I'm on at the moment. So I want to engage with you. Uh, in fact, I want to come and visit or maybe have a discussion with you and see how we can contribute towards helping these organizations because mm-hmm. there are a few of them. In fact, the one that I'm working for currently is, is, is battling. Uh, they, they, they cannot shrug this thing off and it's 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 a challenge okay thanks so much melvin we'll get a response for you uh ben in mahikeng good morning good morning Sakin, and how are you i really appreciate the topic welcome you welcome Pirima province one of the things that we are doing to deal with the injustices of the past is that uh, uh, under the leadership of the Premier Supramahuma Pelo, what we have done uh, is that uh, we have established what we call LGCF, Local Government Communicators Forum, where in that we have called all the municipalities in the province on quarterly basis. Basically, what we do there, we set the best practice in terms of communication, but over and above that, we are also saying to the communicators to act. To, to, to spread the message to our communities within one of the concrete that is reconciliation, healing, and reward, to say they must begin to heighten and upscale the communications in as far as issues of, uh, issues of uh, uh, injustices and consent to make sure that uh, we strengthen uh, the issues of uh, the reconciliation and, 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 and the renewal in the province. Thank you so much. Ben Tapelo in Bethlehem, good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Uh, ma'am, I, I also, I, I, I think also the, the, uh, the issue of uh, the relationship of a person to material mm-hmm. also contributes to the confidence of an individual. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, the, the lady there uh, made an example with regard to a person being called useless. If maybe, for example, I go mm-hmm. to uh, Mr. Motepe and tell Mr. Motepe that Mr. Motepe, you are useless, uh, as a, 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 a person, a downtrodden person, that weight won't make any sense to that person. But if I go maybe to a person who's in quarter camp and who's mm-hmm. who, who doesn't feel who feels insecure mm-hmm. and doesn't have doesn't think he has any muscle, even economic muscle, mm-hmm. the person will react differently. Hence, you find majority of mm. the people who are in prison and committing heinous crimes are people who are from the poor background. That's what, that's my take. But also, uh, 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 I think the government must engage in a, in, they must be serious. They must not be use semantics. They must engage in a radical process of ensuring that they try to redistribute material and ensure that in South Africa we have. Uh, we, we create a lot of uh, what you call the middle class society. Thank you so much, uh, Tapelo. Let me just read a few messages to wrap it up mm. because we're running out of time now. Mm. LT says, people who are victims are the ones who are always targeted by your guest. The victimizers are always let free. Mm. Obrimachiko, though, says, um, we should deal 
with the fact that the road to reconciliation is a road that is occupied almost exclusively by black people, though. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, some people asking, so if that is the case, then, uh, you know, isn't it also in the interest of the victimizers that this healing actually yes. does occur? Yeah. And, and, and Shakina, for me, this journey of psychosocial transformation is for all of us in a society. When I started to talk about the trauma of the past, I had said that even for the white people on the other side, their own humanity was um, taken away. For you to feel that what makes you better is the color of your skin and you are better than the other person, that strips you of your own um, sense of dignity. We are all responsible. Even white people on the other side, they, they need to deal with issues of, of superiority. Um, some of the utterances that we were talking about just yesterday also need to be dealt with. It's all facets. And, and I just want to touch briefly because I see our time is this issue of leadership at a corporate level. Mm. For me, um, it's really crucial because when people experience these dehumanizing experiences at the workplace, it fits again the same experience that people um, have had in the past. So the transformation has to also be in the leaders, Shakina, leaders who promote people's dignity. And in, in summary, if you ask me what this psychosocial engineering project is, I will say it is a project of uplifting people's dignity and the regaining of the soul of South Africa from all facets, from all races and from all groups, because we had lost that as a result of apartheid. We need to reclaim it. Well, lots of work to be done. And uh, just going back there, you need to wake up, you need to heal yourself, liberate yourself, restore yourself and know what your worth is as you show up. And show up fully with all your gifts and talents. Lots of work to be done by all of us. Nomfundo, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, clearly receiving lots of love here. People saying we must bring you back. They thoroughly appreciated this morning's discussion. And it will, of course, be available on podcast. Uh, It will be on our Twitter account. So we'll put it up there. And you can also go to the website, safm.co.za. I'll also retweet it personally. Thank you so much for your participation, as always. Uh, Nomfundo Mukhapi, the Executive Director at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation and the production team for making sure it all went well. Have a good day.